All right. Good morning. How are we? Good. I'm good. Good to be here with you all today. Um, do me a favor. Whichever fan this is, can you turn it off? It's turning my pages and blowing the microphone. Um, so welcome to the well. Uh, good to be here with you all today. Thank you, Eric, brother. Um, we have seemed to have gotten the AC problem fixed, all right? But as you see, we are still not yet on the stage, okay? And so uh, at some point, everything's going to come together and we're going to end up operating as a church, all right? But um, I do say that to say thank you for the setup team, for uh, the worship band, the sound team. It's actually really hard kind of getting a setup like this uh, in a lot of different ways. Everything's different. I don't expect my page to flip when I open up my Bible because the fan, we don't expect it to sound different. So it's just a little bit harder. And so um, I had you do this last week because I meant it. But would you just give quickly the uh, sound team and everybody a hand and just thank them um, because they really do do a lot of work. So thank you guys. All right, let's dive in. Um, James chapter 4, uh, we're going to start in verse 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, would you take that Bible and keep that? That's actually our gift to you. We want you to have the word and be able to use it. And so uh, please feel free to take that home. Uh, it would be good. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. Uh, if you have the version app or the Bible app, as some people call it, underneath the live tab section, you can type in the well Austin. Uh, and then you can follow along in that way. There's notes, places to uh, do scriptures and uh, uh, edit stuff and uh, do prayer requests and all that. So you can do all that online. Uh, if you don't have the version app, but you would still like to follow along, then you can take this link right here, put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. So we want you to see the word. We want you to see that uh, this is not just uh, me up here trying to communicate, but that this is what the word of God says. So we want you to have it in your hand in some way. And so um, I want to actually begin by reading the whole first section today because I think it's going to help us kind of gain an understanding of the direction that we're going to be heading today. So James kind of has the stamina of a very well-trained boxer, all right? And so round after round, he's been kind of punching us in the gut with these hard sayings that are kind of hard to act out but are truthful in nature. And so over and over again, he's been jabbing at us. This is the second to last week in James though, all right? And so um, we have stamina too, I think, for receiving those punches over and over again. But James chapter 4, uh, let's pick it up in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You, or yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right, so let me go ahead and clarify a couple of points kind of straight off the bat. All right, first of all, this text is not a text about not making plans. Okay, it could kind of seem like that, like it's saying, hey, it's a sin to make plans, but that's not at all what James is saying. In fact, James often draws from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, right? And so James frequently is drawing a lot of his sayings from Proverbs or uh, from Ecclesiastes or other wisdom books. And we know that in those books, it actually frequently tells us that it's wise to make plans, right? It frequently tells us that it's wise to uh, try to plan 
plan out your life and orchestrate it in such a way where you are capable of uh, uh, being prepared for the future. And so it's not necessarily a sin to make plans. That's not what James is talking about. In fact, it's wise and it's godly, okay? Uh, This passage is actually a passage about boasting, all right, James is saying that, hey, it's actually a sin to boast in what you are going to do, to have an overconfidence in what you are going to do, all right? According to the dictionary, uh, boasting is to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities, all right, one's achievements, uh, possessions, or abilities. All right, so we can actually kind of add in the word confidence here with boasting, right? Because uh, boasting shows that you are confident in what you are boasting in. You tracking with that? And so if I'm going to be boasting in something, it's probably because I have a sense of self-confidence about something or, or trust in something. And so we're going to kind of interchangeably use boast, confidence, and trust this whole sermon today, okay? So in overconfidence and overtrust. Right, So, for example, I would never, ever, ever boast in my ability to spell or to use grammar because I am not confident in my ability to spell or to use grammar, all right? So, uh, uh, I spell goodly is a great sentence to me, okay? Because you know what I'm trying to say, and so as long as I'm communicating and you know, then we got communication going, right? Um, You know it's bad when you uh, use Microsoft Word and they don't even know what you're trying to spell, so you have to type it into Google for them to try to figure out what's going on, you know? Thank you, Detroit Public School Systems. Um, So I don't have confidence in my spelling. I would not boast in my spelling, right? There would not be a sense of exaltation in my grammar or spelling abilities, right? If I began, though, to say that uh, I was the best-looking elder or staff here at the well then I have confidence in my looks, right? That's what I would be saying, okay? I only say that because Bob isn't here today, all right? We all know he's the best looking one. But if I were serious about that claim, though, and I began to frequently say, like, every sermon I tried to slip in, oh, and I'm kind of the best looking one here, right? Then all of a sudden, you would begin to kind of get a little bit, like, uh, irritated or uh, 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 frustrated, like why is he continually talking about the way that he looks, right? Well, that's because I have an over sense of confidence or an, an over appreciation of my looks. This is usually the telltale sign of arrogance, right? If over and over and over again you are trying to boast or you're finding confidence or value in something in particular, then that's actually a telltale sign of arrogance. And so James, though, doesn't just say this is annoying. Like if I did that over and over for us it would be annoying, right? But James actually says it's a sin. It's a great evil, he says. It's wrong to boast. It's wrong to have an inflated confidence in your ego. And so um, how is it evil, we have to ask, okay? How, why is it that boasting is evil? And simply because it's operating as if you have every single thing under control and as if God hasn't given everything that you have to you, right? And so If I boast in my athleticism, did not God create me in such a way where I am able to be athletic? And so if I continually boast or I have a confidence in my athleticism and over and over and over again, I'm talking about how athletic I am and I'm kind of leaving God out of the picture, then isn't it true that to some extent I am not thinking about what the Lord has given to me, but rather boasting as if I'm the one that created me? 
right? Or if I continually boast in, in the ability to teach or, or the ability to uh, use my money well, hasn't God been the one that's sovereignly chosen to give gifts to me? Or hasn't he been the one that's placed me in a particular family around a particular set of people so that they can teach me how to say, use money well or communicate with people? Didn't God orchestrate almost every single facet of my life to create me into who I am today? So when we are boasting, we're actually removing God out of the picture and we're kind of forgetting that every single thing that we have, that we own, that we possess, our talents, our abilities has actually been orchestrated sovereignly by a God who loves us. He's created us in a very specific way. And when we boast, we are arrogant and we think that we are the ones that are creating this. We are the ones that have done something to sort of orchestrate our lives to put them in the position that they are today. So that's placing confidence and trust in our Ourself rather than in the Lord. And scripture over and over and over again talks about not finding too much confidence in yourself, but finding all of your confidence in the Lord, right? It's phenomenal to me that God in his providence penned through James a letter that is just as valuable and speaks just as much to us today as it did to this culture, right? And I say that frequently because I think that the scriptures are timeless, okay? Because the scriptures don't necessarily deal with cultural problems, but they deal with the problem of the human heart. And so every time you see something in scripture, what is going on there is it's trying to get into our heart and show us where our idolatry is, and this is no different. This problem is deep within every human heart, right? We want to boast, and if we're not careful, we'll fall into the exact same trap that James is writing to his readers not to fall into. We will become boasters in the wrong things. Anything that we place confidence in or we boast in above the Lord is sin, All right, so let's walk back through the text. That's kind of the basis of where we're going, right? Let's walk back through. So go back to verse 13 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. All right, today or tomorrow, such and such. In other words, any of us in any situation, right? James doesn't give a specific town they're going to or a specific type of trade they're going into because he wants this to relate to all of us. In other words, every single one of us has the ability to do this. Notice too, the we will phrases here. It says, we will go travel, spend time, do trading and make treasure, Right? And so uh, a complete confidence or a complete boast in one's own abilities and one's own plans, etc. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So James clearly is not trying to inflate the ego here, right? Like the book of James would not make Oprah's book club, okay? Because instead of uh, building up this false sense of confidence, what James is actually trying to do is to tear it down, right? He's trying to tear down this false sense of confidence that it's very easy to build up. So James is not trying to inflate the image or the ego of self, right? He's trying to remind us though, of the brevity of life and the frailty of our existence. James is saying, hey, life is very short and in reality, you are a very frail people. And if we think about that, isn't that true? Like as beautiful as God has orchestrated the human body and as great as the capacities that he has given to us, isn't it true that we are rather frail people at times, right? Like we are rather frail people. We get distracted all over the place, 
right? Because our minds have a hard time paying attention. We, a little, little tiny bug can actually kind of cripple the human body. A, a small dose of cancer or a small sickness can completely derail us. And so while we are very, very beautifully designed, we're also very frail in our human frame. And so James is trying to remind us, hey, your life is actually short and you are actually a frail person. Why would you boast in yourself as if you have the ability to orchestrate every single thing the way that you want it to go? That's not how life works. For we are like a mist, right? You ever been to the cold? Like anybody ever been up north during the winter and you kind of blow your breath like, right? And then you see like the little fog. James says, that's your life, buddy. Right? Thanks, James. That gives me confidence, right? But James, once again, he's not trying to inflate the ego, but he says, look, your life is short like that. You are like a morning mist, like a, like a fog that's here for a brief second and then gone tomorrow. So why would we place confidence or our hopes or, or, or our value in something that's that brief or that short as our life, right? Like if I began to try to boast in my breath, you know, if we were in uh, 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 Ohio or something in the winter and I was like, Look, look at that, look at that. And I try to start boasting in it. You would call that foolish. James says, when you boast in your life, you're doing the exact same thing. You're pointing at your breath and going, look, look, look at my life, look at my life. And that's foolish, James says, because it's so short. It's so brief. We are such a frail people. And so if we boast in our business plans or our relationships or ourself or whatever it may be, anything else that is above Christ, then that's actually idolatry. We are boasting or taking confidence or putting trust in the wrong things. The reason that boasting in the future is pretty insane too is because you don't even know what the next five minutes are going to hold right? Like anything could happen in the very next five minutes and we don't even know what's going to hold. Why would we then boast so much and put so much confidence into our future, right? I mean, didn't you all have plans to do something fairly differently than what you're doing right now? Like five years ago, 10 years ago, weren't your plans a little bit different than what they're happening right now? Like, weren't you supposed to be living in that mansion by now? right? Like you had dreamed the, the great house on, on Lake Travis or, or up in the mountains or wherever your thing is, you know. Weren't you supposed to be married to that Prince Charming or, or the beautiful princess by now? And instead you're married to who you're sitting next to, <laughs> right? Or you're not married at all and, and you long for marriage, okay? Like, like weren't you supposed to be out of the negative season that you're in right now and yet you're still in the negative season? What's going on there? Why aren't you married or why aren't you ha uh, having more money or why aren't you out of that season or whatever it may be? Because you can't control everything. If you could control everything, you'd be out of it, right? Unless you really, really like negativity or, or things that don't fully satisfy, but because you can't control everything, you're, you can't escape it. And so James says, why would you then boast in your plans? Why would you boast in what you're going to do? That is actually a silly thing. You're not the master of your own ship. You're not the captain of your own soul. Despite what people try to tell us all the time, that's not a true statement, right? There's a sovereign God over and above this whole thing that we need to try to figure out what his will is and try to align our lives to his will. Ironically, too, if you inflate the view of self, if, if you inflate your ego, if you try to control everything, then when your plans don't work out, guess who you have to blame? Yourself, right? I told you, look, all right. Just real quick time out, all right? When I'm preaching, you can talk, all right? You can say that's good, amen. You can respond to me, all right? We cool with that? Yes. All right? Yes. 
There we go. Thank you, seven people. All right, there we go. So when you are inflating the view of self, okay, when things don't work out, you only have yourself to blame, right? This actually leads to depression. This leads to loneliness. This leads to frustration. Why? Because if you're supposed to fix yourself and you can't, then you only have yourself to blame, right? And so that's actually putting too much burden on yourself for you cannot control the life in that particular way. That's why a lot of people end up in a sense of depression or in a sense of frustration because as they're trying to control everything in their life, when it falls apart, because they're trusting in themselves and not in the Lord, then it gets discouraging and they feel like a lesser person when in reality, they were putting their boast or their trust in the wrong thing in the first place. So James is saying, hey, having an inflated view of yourself isn't healthy. It's not helpful. It's actually a sin. Why is it a sin? Because God's desire is for our joy, for our our peace, for our comfort in him. And when we take it away from that and put it in ourselves, we're aiming at the wrong thing. That's idolatry. Verse 15, instead of what we just talked about, you ought to say, if the Lord uh, wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay, so instead we should have confidence in the Lord and his plans, not boast or have false confidence in ours. Instead of living in self-sufficiency, we should learn to live under the Lord and under his plans to an extent. Now, this is hard for control freaks like most of us, right? Like most of you I know fairly well and you are a control freak at least a little bit, okay? And so it's hard to say, just completely forsake your plans and put all of your confidence in the Lord and the Lord alone, right? I mean, is anybody acing that in here, right? No? All right. It's hard to do because we like to control things sometimes. It's scary not to know what's going on. But James is saying, no, this is actually where wisdom is. If we do this, we will actually find true life because we're putting it into the person's hands who is the only person who is able to control the future anyway. We cannot control the future to that extent, but he's already in the future. Don't you want to have somebody controlling your life? Don't you want to be aligned with the will of a man who's already in the future? Yes, that's where wisdom is. That's where confidence can be found, okay? Now, I want to clarify something real quick too, all right? Once again, James is not saying it's bad to make plans. We started off saying that. I want to remind us of that again. He's not saying it's bad to plan for the future. That's not what he's saying. It's bad to find your boast or your overinflated confidence in your plans or in the future, okay? I also want to clarify that James is not giving us a secret phrase or formula here in this text. You know what I mean by that? Like, uh, you don't sprinkle this phrase, if the Lord wills, behind all your plans and then magically, like, poof, they're going to happen, right? Or, like, magically, you're no longer going to be in sin, okay? So, like, uh, I went to Michigan this week to visit my mom, and uh, I didn't tell people, like, hey, I can't meet this week, man, because, you know, I'll be, I'll be going to Michigan. Oh, if the Lord wills, poof right? Like that's silly sounding, right? That's not what happened. I said, I'm going to go to Michigan because that was the plans. And, but what James is actually highlighting is a state of the mind and a condition of the heart. Okay. So he's not saying you have to say this phrase every time you talk about the future, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, right? But what he's saying is that the state of your mind, the condition of your heart should be in such a way where you are trusting in the Lord, where you are trusting in his plans, where you have hope and confidence in what he has for you, not in what you have for yourself. 
And so if God wanted to delay the plane and we could never get off to Michigan, then God is good and God is sovereign and, and his will is better than mine. And I should not be frustrated at that. I should thank him because maybe he's saving me from something. Maybe he wants something else in my life. God knows how to orchestrate our lives, particularly the Christian's life, in such a way where it would align with his will to perfection, okay? Um, Paul often did this, okay? Talked about the Lord's will. There's a bunch of verses. Don't feel uh, the need to turn to every one of these. I have them on the screen because we're going to jump around a little bit, all right? But look at Paul, Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 1 Corinthians 4, 19. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, okay? 1 Corinthians 16, 7. For I do not want to see you, or I'm sorry, for I Yeah, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So we see that he explicitly said this phrase often, right? Paul put the Lord's will into his plans. That's the condition of his heart. But look at a few other verses. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with uh, Carpus at Taurus and also the books and above all the parchments. Didn't say if the Lord wills. Timothy, if the Lord wills you to come, he said, hey, hey, when you come, like you're going to come, and when you come, do this, right? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, right? When I come, okay? Now, look at these two verses, because I have them right next to back to back. Romans 15, there are three verses apart. Verse 29 says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul's so confident that he's going to come with the blessing of Christ and that he's going to make it. And then three verses later, he says, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. By God's will, he says there, right? And so uh, what's the difference here? Why is Paul explicitly mentioning it sometimes and, and, and not really mentioning it other times? Because that's the condition of Paul's heart. Right? So Paul is not breaking the Lord's rule by saying, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, every time he talks about his plan. But we see that it's so much in Paul's mind, it's so much in Paul's heart that frequently it even comes out in his speech. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so frequently Paul is saying, hey, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, because it's so intrinsic to him, Paul trusts in the Lord's plans far above his own. Do you trust in the Lord's plans above your own? Is that kind of condition of your heart? Do you trust in God's plans above your own or do you have more confidence in your plans than in his? If things ruin today, if, if something happens, do you trust that God is good, that God loves you, that God is for you if you believe in his name? Or do you get flustered and frustrated and frustrated at God and, and frustrated at others and, and frustrated at everything going on? Or do you trust in the Lord's plans? This is what James is trying to help us with here. Verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So James is saying, instead of having this mindset that you should trust in the Lord, you boast, and this is evil. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 quickly. Paul says, but he said to me, the Lord, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So apparently it's actually not a sin to boast. We just have to boast in the right things right? It's not a sin to boast. We just have to boast on the right things. In fact, we were specifically designed and intimately created to be boasters. That's why you have the temptation to boast about everything that's going on because you were created by God to boast. 
It's just our target is often off. We boast in ourselves or our plans or, or something else besides the Lord. But we were actually designed to be boasters of him. And so Paul says, hey, you know what? I'm going to boast in my weakness if that shows the power of God because I want God to look good. I want God to be glorified. I want God to be made much of. And so Paul is a boaster. So it's not a sin to boast. It's a sin to boast in the wrong things. And that's what we so often fall in the trap of, boasting in ourself. And the opposite of boasting in self is boasting in something else, mainly God, is a positive thing, right? Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So James is now saying, hey, if you know what you should do, but you do not end up doing it, it is a sin, it is bad, it's not good, okay? So what does he mean here, right? Well, I think what he means is uh, if you fail to do what he's talking about, then you are sinning. And James thinks that it may be so hard for us that he's going to highlight for us, hey, if you don't do this, even though you know you should be doing it, you're actually in sin, So we need to be careful then because what James is saying is it's going to be really easy to forget what I'm saying, James. It's going to be really easy to find your confidence, find your hope, find your boast, find your trust in something else besides the Lord. But you know better in the back of your mind, you know that you shouldn't be doing that. And if you know it and don't, then you are in sin. And so James is saying, hey, we need to be really careful with this, right? All right, now, then James jumps down to another reason to boast. So first we start talking about our plans, boasting in the future, and then James gives us another big area where a lot of us tend to boast in. All right, we're going to cover the whole passage at once. So James chapter 5, pick it up in verse 1. Come now, notice he starts verse 13 and verse, five, or verse 1 here in the exact same way. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. (laughs) James is kind of harsh here, right? (laughs) You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the heirs of the Lord of the hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Once again, I told you, James is like a, 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 a boxer, right? He keeps hitting us in the gut over and over and over again, all right? If you don't feel the impact of this, you're not reading these words correctly, right? You are like a cow, he says, that are fatting yourself for the day of slaughter so that when God comes down in wrath, he may slaughter you and, and, and you're a fat cow. A fat cows are better than skinny cows, right? I mean, that is, a, that is a harsh phrase, right? James isn't holding back anything, but James is trying to speak truth to us. He's trying to show us the, the depth of what he's saying, the, the weight of what he's trying to communicate to us. Now, notice in verse 2 that James actually speaks about these people's money as if it's in the past tense already. Like, they're still alive, but he says, your money has corroded. Your gold and silver are already gone, he says. And why does he say that? James is so confident that having money is not enough for us. It cannot be where we place our confidence or our trust or our boast that he speaks as if it's already happened because he knows that it will. Like James is so confident that your money will not be enough for you that he speaks as if it's already happened because he knows that it will. Putting too much trust in wealth, okay, because it maintains its power is a facade. It's a facade that a lot of us tend to eat frequently right? When you put too much trust in something because it'll last, 
right? A, a, a real estate investment is, is a great investment because it's going to last, right? Or, or gold, it's a great investment. It's going to last as a facade. James says, no, when you die, that goes with you. And even if you're able to pass it on to future generations, at some point, the Lord's going to come back and destroy everything anyway. And so all the gold, all the land, all the whatever it may be that seems like we could put our trust in, James is saying, that's not enough to satisfy. That's not good enough. You can't put your hope in that and that alone. All right, now I want to draw us back again. It's not bad to plan, okay? And I also want to draw us back again because James isn't saying that it's bad to be rich, right? In fact, frequently in scripture, there were people who were phenomenal planners and who were very, very, very rich men that were very godly men, right? Abraham had so much cattle that him and his cousin Lot had to split up because there was too much cattle and sheep and that was the the wealth of the day back then, right? So they had to split up, okay? He was a wealthy man. King David was a great planner. He planned out how to build the house of the Lord for his son to a detailed T because he knew his son would be able to build it. And David was rich. Then Solomon came along. His son was even richer, right? But David, Solomon at the beginning and the end of his life, Abraham throughout their whole lives were godly men, right? They, they trusted in the Lord and they, they took confidence in the Lord, minus Solomon when he uh, kind of let his riches get to his head, right? But at the end of his life, we see in Ecclesiastes, even he once again said, look, to trust in anything else but the Lord is vain, he says. So it's not bad to be rich, all right? In fact, I would really love it if some more of you became rich, okay? Because that would help the well in a lot of ways, all right? So it's not bad to have money by any means, but to trust in it, to put your full confidence in it is a sin, in fact, there's actually a really, really bad pastor's joke about money. Should I tell it? Yeah. All right. Everybody who said yes, you are obligated to laugh at this joke, okay? It was a really, really bad pastor's joke. So as the story goes, all right, there uh, is a, a guy who dies, a very, very rich man, and he was a Christian. So he goes up to heaven, and of course, Peter, I don't know why Peter's always the one greeting us in these jokes, but Peter's greeting him, right? And he says, hey, man, welcome. You know, you trust in Christ. Man, praise the Lord. Come into eternity. And the guy says, Oh, man, you know, I, I would really like to bring something here with, I'd I like to bring something into heaven. And so everybody kind of in line is like looking like, oh, what, what is he doing, you know? And he says, I, I want to bring something. And so Peter's like, well, you don't really need anything, you know? He's like, no, 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 I, I really want to bring something. Peter says, okay, okay, go ahead. So he sends him back down to earth and everybody's kind of talking in line, like, what's this guy doing? What's he going to bring? What, what is Peter letting in, you know? And he comes back up into heaven and he kind of walks up to the front and he has this briefcase, all right? And everybody's looking, waiting for it to open. And he opens it up and it's this pure 24 karat gold, right? Like the purest gold that earth had to offer. And, and Peter looks at it and goes, oh, wow, that's really nice. Uh, sidewalk. You can put it down over there. That was the end of the joke, right? I told you it wasn't funny, right? uh, But it's a good example, okay? All right, what is that joke saying? The joke is saying that the things that we find most valuable here on earth, we're gonna walk on in heaven. The things that we find most significant, the, the purest of gold, we are going to walk on and, and spill our drink on. I don't know if we're going to spill drinks in heaven. Maybe that's a product of the fall, right? But we're gonna, it's going to be pavement. It's going to be an afterthought in heaven. Why would you trust in it? When the most valuable thing on earth is the pavement in heaven, why would you put your trust in it here on earth? It's a facade to do. It's silly to do. You should not trust in it. Why would you labor all of your hours and spend all of your worries and spend all of your concerns on things that are passing? 
And that's what James is saying. But he knows it's easy for us to do, right? It's, it's easy for us to th- think like that. Let me put it like this. If you spend more time thinking about, worrying about, planning for your 401k than you do with the Lord, there's a high probability that you are committing idolatry, okay? Now, not for sure, right? I, I, I was a business major. I almost went into finance. I understand. Some people, that's their job. Sometimes that is what you need to do. You, you orchestrate that way so that you can provide for your family. So I'm not saying that it's an automatic uh, assurance that you're in sin, but it's a really high probability, right? If you are, and some of you are fresh out of college, you're like, a 401? what? <laughs> All right. You know what that is? Okay. So uh, for our context, right, if you spend more time thinking about the future house, right, or, 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 or even the future children or, or the future uh, uh, jobs or the future relationships, anything that you spend more concern on trying to think about and focus on above the Lord, there's a massive probability that you are committing idolatry. For God is the only one that we should boost or boast into that level of our head, of our heart. We should have no other gods before him. That's idolatry, right? And so it's important for us to think in that way. It's important for us to realize what James is trying to get at here, okay? Um, God needs to be above all of these things, right? In fact, I actually think that the reason that some people have not yet trusted Christ and maybe even some of us in here who have been exploring the faith for a while and and wrestling with the faith, the reason oftentimes that we don't come to Jesus is because we know that we're gonna have to give up some things, right? Like we we know, we, we may not know everything about scripture, we may not know everything about God, but we know that we're gonna have to give up some of our comforts or, or God may call for some of our desires or may, or may beckon us to give certain things away or, or lifestyles and we don't want to do that yet, right? And so we'll place our confidence or our trust in our relationships above trust in the Lord or in our money above trust in the Lord, even though those things have never fully satisfied us. We still over and over and over again run back into that trap. But in the end, we are a morning mist and those things will rot and and, and rust and fall away. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And James is saying, look, we need to find our trust, our confidence in the Lord. Why would you invest in the world today and then in the end trade your soul, right? Why would you invest in the world today when you only live for 80, 90, 100, if you're unlucky, 110 years, right? And then in the end, trade your soul, okay? That'd be like having a million dollars and trading it in for a Redbox movie. No matter how good the movie is, it was a very bad trade, right? I don't know why that was the analogy in my head, but we'll roll with it, all right? If you, the, the a million dollars, eternity is at our hands, why would we trade it in for this life? James is saying, why would we boast and take confidence, take trust in the things that are here? Okay, so what do we do then? What do we, if this is the condition of our hearts, this is where we are, then what do we do? How do we boast or trust in the things that are not what James mentioned, but trust in the things of the Lord? Boast in something eternal of true value. James mentions in one verse, in verse seven. It's the last verse we're gonna read. Be patient, therefore, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Okay, and what does that mean? How do we not boast? How do we not take confidence? We fix our eyes on Christ. That's what that verse is trying to beckon us to do, okay? Put it like this. Trusting the Lord's promises brings peace that plans or prophets can't. Okay? Trusting the Lord's promises brings peace that plans or prophets can't. 
When you trust in the promises of the Lord, when you trust in who he says he is, that will bring peace into your heart, into your life, that all of your plans and all of your profits will never be able to truly bring. When we be patient and everything else around us may be falling apart, everything else around us may be hard, everything else around us may be crumbling, but we are actually standing on a solid rock whose promises have always come true. Nothing that God has said has ever failed. Don't we want to trust in that then? Then the things that fail us over and over and over and over and over again? And James is saying, that's what we do. You be patient. Even in the midst of suffering, be patient. Look to the Lord, beckon, wait for his coming, long for his coming. Trust in his promises above your own. Trust in his promises above what a promise of a good marriage or of children or of a a good house or of lots of money may give you. Because though those things may be good, none of those are bad, once again, they may actually have some good promises in store. None of them are like the promises of the Lord. All of those things combined don't even compare at all compared to knowing and understanding the Lord Jesus. Jesus will come again and he's going to make all things right. And so no matter what suffering we're going through right now, trust in the Lord long for him to come. He's going to fix this earth, make all things right, and we who trust in Jesus will spend eternity with our Savior. That's where we want our boast to be. That's where we want our confidence to be. Matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 um, says this. You can go there if you want. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Once again, it's okay to boast, okay? What should we boast in though? That he understands and knows me, the Lord. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So how can Jeremiah, how can James beckon us to do something like that? Because they've actually seen what it means to know the Lord, and they're so confident that knowing the Lord is far superior to everything else. They say, boast in that and that alone. Everything else is rubbish. Everything else will fade. Nothing else satisfies the way knowing the Lord satisfies. Knowing the Lord is what our heart was made for, is what brings us true joy. And to boast or take confidence in other things is silly. To boast or take confidence in other things is idolatry because it's not going to lead to our true joy. It's not going to lead to our ultimate joy. It's also impossible for you to uh, 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 trust in someone that you don't really know, right? Like it's impossible for you. Like if you don't know me and I said, hey, can I come babysit your kid? You'd be like, no. <laughs> you know, I don't trust you, <laughs> right? It's even worse than I'm a man and, and that's kind of weird. And then you hear him from Detroit and you're like, there ain't no way you're, tr- you're babysitting my kid, right? Okay, so it's hard to trust somebody that you don't know. Jeremiah is saying, you want to boast that you know and understand the Lord and who he is. That's what we should boast in. Because the more we understand the Lord, the more everything else unfolds in life. And we see the beauty of what it means to actually live a life that's filled with peace, that's filled with joy that only the Lord can bring. And we then have deep, deep confidence in him. Okay, so what will you trust in then has to be the question for us. What is it that you are going to trust in? Uh, uh, What are the things that you're going to put your confidence in? And if it's not the Lord, it's going to be in things that you do kind of know, right? Like relationships, money, your future plans, because those things, once again, aren't bad. And so you've realized that there's a little bit of value in trusting those things. 
But if you actually realize what James and what Jeremiah, what Paul, what all those scriptures is trying to call us to is that no, what the true life is, where we find true purpose, where we find true identity, where everything that our heart beckons for, where that is truly found is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's where our true hope is. That's where our true value can be. That's why James is concerned by the ways that you trust or boast, not have uh, uh, confidence in false things because it actually reveals your faith in Christ. If you don't have true faith in Christ, you're gonna boast in other things, right? If you don't believe that he is who he says he is, if you don't believe in his promises, if you don't look to the promise of the Lord and look to his coming and look to the scriptures and see what they promise, it actually shows that you don't have true or at least not a mature faith. James is saying, that's why I want you to boast in the Lord and the Lord alone. And so you can ask yourself, if your job failed today, you got laid off, right? If your relationships fail, or maybe they have already failed and, and there's that frustration, right? If your 401k fails, okay, if your, if your car fails, if whatever, maybe if that fails, is Christ enough? Is Jesus enough? Ask yourself that. If everything else around you crumbles, is Jesus enough? Because he is. But James is saying it's really hard when we live in this earth because we begin to think every other thing may actually give value, but James says, no, Jesus is enough. The opposite of self-boasting, arrogance is complete trusting in the Lord, looking forward to him and his coming. And see, Jesus was the perfect representation to us right? Like he completely forsook his plans, trusted in God the Father and his plans and hoped in him and him alone. That's how Jesus lived his life on this earth. He was our example. And now James calls us to live just like how Christ lived. And it's scary, particularly when we don't fully know Jesus, but it is where we find true joy. It is where we find our peace. Christ is the only eternal thing. Therefore, if we want eternal joy, we should place our hope and our trust in him. Christ is the only eternal life. If we want eternal life, we should place our hope and trust in him. I know for me, it's hard in a lot of ways, okay? So I was thinking about it this week and, and just really challenged because, uh, can I confess kind of my own sin here? No? All right, we'll keep going. All right? No, right? So one of the things that I really, really was uh, struggling with even thinking about this is that recently we built a fence in our backyard, okay? And by we've built a fence here, I paid somebody to install a fence, all right? I didn't build a fence. If I built a fence, it would look like a picket fence instead of a privacy fence, all right? Because I'm not a good handyman. Um, that's supposed to be a joke and nobody even smiled. Talking with me, all right. Um, so anyway, we built it for good reasons, all right? I feel like good reasons at least because there are two drug houses down our street. It's very plain, clear they're drug houses, all right? My wife is a stay-at-home mom. We have one daughter and next month another daughter on the way. So three girls kind of playing around in the backyard by themselves doesn't smell of safety to either of us, right? And so it felt like, well, that, that's, a good, that's a good thing. It's a good reason to build that. Good reason to spend money on that, okay? That's not bad at all. I'm not boasting an offense or, or boasting them, but... What began to happen? When I was in my backyard, looked at my fence, this is a really nice fence. I looked on the ground and I was like, this grass is really trashy, <laughs> right? The grass is terrible. Matter of fact, we have like dirt in our backyard only, okay? And so it looks like we keep horses in our backyard, the way our grass looks, all right? And so it's a terrible looking backyard. So I thought, we really need new grass, but I'm too lazy to do the work to build good grass. So I'd really just kind of lay down sod, all right? And lay down all pre-made grass and then lay that down, okay? And then I look and I think, man, our, our porch is kind of sloping. It would be really, really nice to have like a, a porch that you don't like 
sit down on and slowly but surely start sliding off like that, right? So I want to build a new porch, all right? And man, next to our house is kind of ugly. Uh, flowers would look really, really nice there. We have this weird green canopy looking thing over the back of our house, at least hanging some lights or doing something there would be really nice. There's a tree in the backyard that's dying. All these branches are low and, 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 and all of a sudden I'm finding my boast and my confidence and how great our backyard looks instead of the Lord. Now that sounds silly, right? But isn't that how life works? Like, don't I want that to be good so that when I invite you over to my house, I go, hey, come look at my backyard. See how great this is? Boast, 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 all right? And that's how life works. Now, it's a silly example, but isn't that how it works in our lives too? Slowly but surely, things creep in and continually steal our affections for Christ. Don't you know that? Haven't you felt that as you get older and older in life? Can't you see that things sneak in? They try to steal your affection, right? So, so your, your kids sneak in, right? And, and it's easy to boast in them above the Lord or, or your job sneaks in or your future or your house or your backyard fence or whatever it may be. It's so easy to place our trust, our confidence in other things besides the Lord. That dream house that you buy, that, that will give you salvation, it feels like. But in reality, it's passing, God is the only thing that lasts. God is the only thing that's valuable. I love the 18th century hymn by Edward Mote, uh, In Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. The third, the third verse says this. Look at this verse with me. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground will not give you the stability that Christ can give. Why would you boast in it? Why would you boast in that? I mean, think about it. The, the last thought I want you to think about. Uh, Christ knew every single act that would happen in the future, did he not? When he was in heaven, he knew everything that would happen and he had all the riches in the world. Right? Psalm says that he owned the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he created the earth. He, all of heaven bowed down to him. Christ was the richest man, and he's the only man that knew the future. Christ gave that up so much so that he didn't know what would happen tomorrow. He didn't know what would happen the next day. He became a poor man that had no place to live. Why? So that you and I, who don't know the future at all and who are poor in spirit, could find our hope and our trust in Christ who holds eternity in his hands now because he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected again, ascended on high, we can have confidence that Christ is the only one that holds the future in his hands and we can trust in Christ. Friends, don't trust in these riches in this world. Don't trust in your plans. Don't trust in yourself. Christ is the only one who holds the future. Christ is the only one with true riches. Let us trust in him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that when I, a silly boy, was trusting in my athletic ability to get me into college and to, to, to maybe make the NFL or, or maybe at least get a, a good job later, when I was trusting in my, my financial expertise, when I was trusting in my relationship status and who I was dating and when I was trusting even in the ability to uh, uh, preach or to disciple and when I was trusting in either good things but not you, that you took all those things away from me and showed me that you were where life was truly found. God, would you do that for for us today, 
everybody in here, God. I pray if you need to create calamity, create calamity. God, destroy the things that we are placing our trust in above you. Ruin my fence. <laughs> That's okay. God, ruin our plans. Ruin, make it so that we trust in you and in you alone because I know, Jesus, I've tasted, I've seen that that is where true life is found. God, I want us to have life. God, would you help us to find it in you and in you alone, Jesus? God, I pray that like a gracious father, you would do that graciously with us. That we would find a, a, a peace, that we would find joy and yet still find trust in you, God. But, but if you have to do other things, God, do it. You are the only valuable thing. You are the only one we should have our confidence in. God, let us boast in you and in you alone. Teach us how to do that, Christ. Convict us even right now of the things that we are placing above you and let us lay those down before your feet for you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor forever and ever. God, we praise things in your precious name. Amen.